0: Everyone runs away from pain, dodging the truth it comes with. But you are done with limiting your greatness in the shackles of fear. You see fuel in the fire. You taste ripe fruit in real answers. You move to the drums with wild expression. Enter from pain to gain. The podcast about identifying pain so you can ultimately gain health and wealth. Because without identifying a mountain, how can you climb it? Here's your host. Ivan Alpha, welcome back to From Pain to Gain. Jason is here with me again, my BFF. F-F-F-F-F. Hello, Time's welcome, Infinity. Thank you. Good to be up? here. <laughs> How you doing, man?
1: Doing well, doing well. Looking you forward to
0: conversation. growth action going.
1: Yes, it's getting gnarly. Time to either go into the forest or cut
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> this is what shows a, a successful entrepreneur right here. Freelancer. <laughs> that you could grow it like a forest land (laughs) and everything is just going to keep going fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) At least for now, we'll see.
0: (laughs) 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 Dude, you've had that thing for years growing up now. But anyways, today we're talking about the commonality between evil groups and loving families. Evil groups, of course, think of the worst of it. You know, KKK, Crips, Bloods, all the gangs you could think of. Uh, Nazis, uh, neo-Nazis, all of the worst groups you can think of. And what's the commonality between them and loving families? There's going to be a lot of stuff we could connect here. That's going to be kind of weird, but it'll, I think, help us to see how we can relate to people a lot more than we think we can. So let's jump right in. I'm going to do it uh, starting with a Tupac lyric. And Uh, He says, I hung around with the thugs, and even though they sold drugs, they showed a young brother love. And it just shows, like, even in the midst of him growing up in crime, I'm sure getting shot at a lot, and him at some point probably even selling drugs, I don't know his full history, he was able to get other brothers to show love to him. And to jump right in, to the CAGE acronym, uh, in case you forgot, and how we're going to draw this topic through it. It's complacency, atrophy, guilt, and escape. So to start off with complacency, I wanted to draw uh, a needle, a thread through this needle of how I can relate to it, a personal story. And it's so easy to get into a group of family, partnership, whatever, what have you, uh, into uh, the concept of the, the hand that feeds, right? And being susceptible to the hand that feeds. And I had this perception that this one person in my life, um, in a particular business venture out of many that I've had, that this person largely makes my job easy. They do most of the work, and I just kind of sit and account the checks, type thing. But what over time happened was, the unprofessional behavior kept mounting up and I had this kind of balance of uh, like, should I address this or do I want to keep, you know, just making money? I had this perception that I can't just replace that person easily, which down the line did end up happening. But essentially I, I feared in that point of view, this is the hand that feeds. So I can't have it taken away from me even though I had all the resources to do that. Uh, Jason, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so two things come to mind. First is that uh, I, I immediately think of, you know, in baseball or basketball or football or whatever sport you want to put it. You know, there's often this conversation crops up about this really um, talented player that is a horrible person, has horrible character. And so they the team tolerates the uh, behavior and attitude of this, of this person because they score enough points or enough touchdowns um, to sort of justify keeping them around, even though it's can be toxic uh, for the team in different ways. And we obviously don't know all the details of those stories to understand them fully, but assuming that uh, that's at least got a glimpse of truth on it. Um, that's essentially, you know, very similar to what you're describing, right? So why get rid of this player? We, we would start losing versus winning. And so, um there kind of is two questions there, which is, what is it, does it matter how we win? And does it also uh, matter um, to the people the, that are involved um, and how they're treated and, and the, the, um, what they're subject to as part of that experience? Yeah, the emotional
0: cost, spiritual cost, XYZ. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the costs. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, just remembering a story, uh, you know, one of many stories for me is um, I used to have a marketing agency, and we had a client, a particular client that um, we've been working with for years, and, and most, most of our interactions were fairly positive, but there was one um, part of the business that we were sort of, because of the work we were doing, it was now pressing in on a particular uh, department, and that particular department was led by a particular leader. And that particular leader was a, uh, a very toxic leader, and one that um, people did not like to interact with, did not like to work with. Um, and had uh, a lot of conflict uh, surrounding this person and so <clears throat> at the time I, it sort of gotten to a point in my own journey where what I had to sort of rec- reconcile the reality of like okay, do I do what's right um, regardless of what it might cost me to do that um, or do I um, sort of succumb to the the pressures in, in the 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 um the issues by just not shaking, uh, sh- not, not rocking the boat, not, uh, you know, intentionally stepping on the eggshells. So um, in this particular case with this customer, um, we did push in on it and um, and we were able to make some progress and, and, and surface some conflict and, and work through some of that. At the root issue, we were um, not necessarily in a, a position of authority to truly make a difference. Um, and we were also pushing on things that were, uh, rocking the boat as for the company as a whole. And so, um, it's possible, you know, we ended that client ended up deciding to, to go a different direction, um, within a year or so of that, of that process. And so you could say that maybe that did cost us, um, our company was going this direction and their company was going another direction, um, in terms of wanting to address that particular issue. And so it's kind of this interesting dynamic, um, that you know when when that client is your biggest client, when they are paying you the most, like you, like you experienced in in your situation, we have to make that decision of is it worth uh is it worth the money, right? Um and I think in the long run we'll we'll find that if we're doing it for that reason, um one, we'll allow it to actually get worse and worse and worse. And uh, two, there will be a uh, personal costs, um, in our character, in our, um, in our, our mental health. And so, uh, those are things that are important to, to keep in mind, but it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, and, and the reality of it is that most people, when they're faced, uh, facing that type of challenge, um, we just buckle under the pressure and fold to, to whatever, uh, the pressure is. And, and it's, uh, takes a lot of courage to go against that.
0: Yeah. I saw, um, enron documentary on amazon prime a couple months ago and it turns out that a very similar situation uh this gentleman the ceo lost one of his big players and heard about this other guy that was on the come up and has a new way of of looking at stocks Uh, even though now we know it was not legitimate yeah and was it hurt a lot of people i didn't realize how down to the actual weeds it got of of hurt because turns out they were actually controlling california power lines to make it seem like power outages were happening Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: they would literally just exorbitantly push their bills up to cover their stocks going up and some really just atrocious things happened in that that company but Essentially, that CEO decided, "Oh, I could either let this company tumble or kind of sell my soul, as they call it, and get this guy in here." Even though he maybe didn't have that perception going in, he maybe just thought, "Oh, this guy's an innovative leader that could make yeah. it happen." But and, it's, it, and it really it's, ties yeah. us both into a similar scenario of: Would yeah. we have allowed that to happen? And to what? Yeah. Are we that different from? somebody that Mm -hmm. went down astray you know
1: yeah in our um if we believe that we're not susceptible to that then we're actually creating a door to make us more likely to be susceptible to it so yeah remember (laughs) uh chuck colson um he he's no longer alive but he he was worked with nixon in the nixon administration and he talks about how you know he just he thought he was a good person and and doing the right things. And he was no, he was not going to be corrupted. And here he was um, just caught up in the whole Nixon scandal and uh, just one, one step at a time, stepping into that corruption and then being engulfed in it fully and not even seeing what had happened to him until after the fact, when he reflected on it during his time in jail. So.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that same thing could apply to the Nazis, right? Like they just, were encapsulated in his powerful speaking his powerful authority as a leader and didn't really even care to look at his background, his history, his, his motivations. And, and
1: he said a lot of things. If you read quotes from him, I mean, they, they sound like, wow, that's really compelling. Um, and then you see it's from him and then you're like, Oh, and, and so you can <laughs> see when you do that, like if you, if you read a quote and you don't know it's from him and then you, and then you kind of go through that exercise it makes it clear like how susceptible we could be. Um, in fact, I have a, another book. It's called uh, A World After Liberalism and Philosophers of the Radical Right. And Why are you soliciting <laughs> books online? My- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, re- I read this and there's. Um, it has these far extremist um, ideologies. And and when you read, you know, when I went to get the book, I thought, oh, okay, you know, these these would be interesting to read. But what I found was that they're in many ways they can be fairly very compelling, and mm-hmm. so I do, I think we underestimate the the depth of some of these ideologies that are out there, and um, and how how um, persuasive they can be, especially to someone who is grieving, someone who is um, uh, bitter, someone who is angry. You know, they they fill in the emotion, and if there's enough of it, there's some ideology out there that probably appeals to you.
0: Yeah. And we see that pretty recently, of course, in the the Trump administration, but I'm sure there's lots of, on the other side, Democratic uh, um, leaders that could have also been compelling and also brought people in to uh, things and consequences that they were not aware of.
1: Yeah, and I I was reading, uh, I'll read a quote from you here. Um, This is from Robert Keegan in a book called Inner Overheads, and I'll just read a part of it. But he's talking about conflict. And he says, consider that the protracted conflict is a signal that you and your opponent have probably become identified with the poles of that conflict. And so what he means is like if there's a conflict and, and both sides get kind of pushed to the to the outer poles, and then they they're they're at each other, right? They're going at each other. And so to your point, and what I what tends to happen, what I see, and what I've been sucked into, and I think just reading this reminded me how I can be sucked into it is if I'm getting if I'm getting pushed to a pole, like if I feel that, if I see myself doing that, then that one, it's just an awareness of that. But two, it's to recognize that, that extremism is an escalating thing. And so you have two sides that they get pushed to the poles and then they escalate. And that just keeps ratcheting up. And um and it doesn't just stop because uh um because it just it goes up and up and up and eventually usually what tends to happen is it escalates into something dramatic enough that it gets one or both sides to go what are we doing here and um but sometimes it doesn't sometimes that event happens and it comes and goes and the escalation continues and so uh so it's it's not an easy thing to reconcile um but we have an opportunity to be people that break the cycle of violence that choose to to step outside of that cycle to not be polarized and to be bridge builders instead Um, but to be a bridge builder is to be the object of wrath from both sides of the of the uh conflict
0: yeah and then to speak to the ratcheting up although i could argue that it's Mm -hmm. more of a downward spiral a ratcheting downward spiral yeah yeah you could. say that
1: might be a better way to say it is uh um, you know just look at genesis it's the spiraling of humanity over and over and over again yeah. into the ground
0: <laughs> but to speak to that Gar- grant cardone has a great great quote he says if you want to be president you just have to get half the country to hate you and mm. it is a truthful but also very saddening statement yeah that outrage sparks kind of publicity advertising mm-hmm. oh notes.
1: yeah i mean so, look at how much see the media as much as the media hates donald trump they are also highly responsible for his election because they give him tens of millions maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars worth of free um airtime when he was uh, in the primaries uh being in, in his first uh, terms so he got all this free because of how much they hated him he got yeah. all <laughs> of this free uh media so that's that's what came to mind when he said that yeah
0: so we talked about more of the evil groups what about where we don't see it necessarily immediately and loving families how, how do they relate to to the commonality you know of, of evil groups
1: so what i would say is i think there's two two sides of it um when you when you look at these groups these extremist groups um you look at a family I, th- I think there's two similarities principally possibly more i guess but the first would be, one, how they're interrelating to each other in a way that creates um, a sense of acceptance or love. Security. Um, so yeah. security, there's some positive, right? Some positive benefit. And then there's the negative, uh, which would be um, the self-interest and the pride and, and selfishness. And so um, the health of one or the other is is... Going to be determined by how much of the, the good is manifesting in that group and <clears throat> how much of the negative and the self-interest is manifesting so it's uh sort of a scale if you will and eventually that scale is going to tip one way or the other um i uh so i think in that way they, they relate at the same level so what happens uh, in a family is you know ideally you have a healthy family that is loving and is um, not pursuing self-interest at the cost of the other family members, but is only pursuing things that if pursued um, make, uh, make the family better. Right. And so um, I'll give you just like a practical example. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, doing in my freelancing work. I, you know, I have my paid work that I do in consulting and whatnot and I have other things that I want to pursue. You know, I've got my books and my podcasts and things like that. But those don't necessarily generate income for me. So if I would have wanted to be, but, but, but I really enjoy doing them and I get a lot of meaning out of it. If I really wanted to pursue my self-interest, I would stop doing all my paid work and just pursue that stuff that I want to do um, relentlessly, right? And so, but I have a wife and I have five kids. And so by doing that, I'm actually would neglect the responsibilities I have to provide for my family. And so I'm pursuing my self-interest at their cost. And maybe in a short period of time, it may not be a big deal, but over time, that would create a lot of problems in our life and our relationships and conflict and brokenness, and it would kind of spiral. So instead, what I have to do is I have to take care of my responsibilities and my duty, and then I can pursue those things that I love you know, a little bit at a time and just takes, take a slower path. And so it's not necessarily say, I can't pursue that thing. It's just how, where, what's its proper place. And so for us to understand its proper place, we have to be the type of person that can understand where its proper place is. And in order to be that type of person, we have to be developed into that type of person. So that would be an example, maybe example, um, and a family level, but at, at a family level, you could also have, uh, the toxic, um, spiral into a completely dysfunctional family. And that can happen at a, you know, at a young age, or it could happen, um, you know, the family could be doing fairly well. And then all of a sudden it seems like something comes out of nowhere and just, just um, demolishes the family. Maybe a, a person in the family dies or whatnot, and that can create a, a spiral. Yeah. So, um, so those positive and do- negative dynamics of both uh, a family and some of these groups that we, look at like gangs and, and extremist groups, um, they can share a lot in common. Um,
0: and depending, I guess, well, it might not be even age specific, but if the trauma of that person, like, for example, dying or going into an addiction or just abandonment, right. Uh, if it's early on in a child's life, it could be a much more uh, susceptibility for that child to grow up to, like say, Oh, this mentor is awesome to me, and I'll make excuses because they treat me good, but they also happen to be the leader of the Bloods yeah. or, or, you know neo nazi or whatever, but they have helped me to feel love in a way I haven't felt before,
1: yeah, and I think it can be it could be a variety of things. I remember when I first moved to Atlanta, um I had this political news website, and I had this this guy reach out to me, and he was um He liked what I was doing, and so we ended up kind of connecting. He was in California, I was in Georgia, and um, he ended up getting real involved. And you know, I had that same kind of justification. Like, yeah, there's a lot of aspects of this person that that I think are um, there's a clash of what he's seeking his self interest and the values that I have. But I thought to myself, you know what, I'm I can handle it. You know, I can play with fire and not get burned. Right.
0: You Um, had another romance. (laughs) I
1: did. Yes. And uh, it was a toxic mentor. Um, (laughs) And, but what happened was, you know, I just, it just got, I got pulled in. I wasn't able to. And part of it was I had just moved across the country. I was on my own and I was um, trying to figure out how to run my business, how to live life. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And here's a person that I thought, Oh, this person knows what he's doing. He's very confident. Um, he's kind of says what he thinks and he goes for what he wants. And, you know, this is someone that, uh, that could help me, you know? Um, and yeah, there's a lot of red flags, but I can navigate the landmines, you know, and just, I won't step on those. I'll just, I'll get to the treasure chest on the other side of the <laughs> land field and the landmine, uh, field and, uh, get my treasure and, Follow the and then we'll and all be happy road, <laughs> But you, then, after stepping on landmine after landmine, and realizing that uh, there's no escape, um, I realized it was out of my league. I was in over my head, and so, um, so it's and it's not an easy thing to get out of once you're you're caught up in it. So yeah,
0: it's interesting for me. For for people that are more strangers, uh, I have throughout most of my life, trusted more and gave more grace to, to close, people closest to me. And I think that's a subject in my upbringing. But yeah. it's also something may, maybe to be mindful of when, when trying to discern if you're falling into that, um, that sort of bromance also, which uh, I'm deeply hurt that you just confessed that to me, Jason. Yeah, well, I, I was the only one.
1: <laughs> no nope, i'm afraid not sir um uh, so i think it's uh you know there there is something appealing i'll throw this out there of being and depending on our upbringings like you said based on your upbringing you're going to have different insecurities different wounds mm-hmm. and those are the ones that are going to get you that are going to make you vulnerable it's also why we need community because we are vulnerable and we need others to help us through that vulnerability yeah but um what i realized about myself is you know if i for me not feeling wanted i and all of a sudden there's this person across the country who's pursuing me right that feels really good and so um you know it's just a it's just an interesting dynamic that we don't necessarily know what might compel us uh, yeah. it is, uh,
0: especially in yeah. this culture right it's kind of strange to even make BFFs with another, another man it's um, I have a confession to make I uh, I downloaded an app because I didn't have a good like downtown Atlanta like bro base Yeah. and I was like there must be a way to shortcut this so I yeah. downloaded some app I think it's called like bros or something Yeah. and like 90% of them were gay dudes. <laughs> was uh, like, they were just, it was a hookup thing. I was like, man, I, I can't win over here.
1: It's- yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's actually interesting you say that because I had a client, a potential, uh, I don't think they ended up becoming a client, but it was a potential client. And his whole business model was, it was a phone line to just talk to someone. What? So you're feeling lonely, you need a friend, you call this number and you have a friend and you just talk and you pay per minute or whatever. So I thought that was, you know, you reminded me of that when you're with your comment, just because people are lonely. Um, yeah. They don't have that friend. They don't have, they need a mentor, right? They're struggling, they're, they're floundering. And, you know, that's appealing to them. And I think there's a lot of problems with that particular business model in terms of actually solving the brute problem. But, but you can see, I mean, just how it's, it can fill that, that void that someone might be feeling
0: yeah so we've covered complacency and how we could all fall fall into this now downward spiral of falling into the wrong group and i would even argue if you're like you said have these insecurities specific ones growing up you're either going to decide to go a very strong way this way or a very strong way that way Uh, in my experience people with trauma don't really stay in the middle that much it's kind of uh, i've experienced this i don't want to be in the middle, just a yes or no on this. So something to be mindful of if you're trying to work through that. And so as we move into atrophy, kind of living in that lifestyle, I'm sure we, we all seen that. Uh, what is it? Uh, Mal- Malcolm X movie. What was it called again? American history X. Oh, okay. Uh, that atrophy of him living that lifestyle. It took him a while to get out of it uh, after jail and after love and, uh, and to a large extent, Unbiased, Unconditional Love, uh, which I was very... It was awesome. Awesome movie. But I wanted to draw an analogy here of the rubber band. I'm going to throw this into the the book I have coming out too, but the rubber band is basically... Imagine you're a rubber band and you're being pulled apart bigger and bigger. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And at some point, you have to decide... Are you going to keep letting people pull you out bigger and bigger? Or even yourself, you're pulling yourself out. You're drawing yourself out, you know, stressing yourself out, uh, pleasing people or uh, working 80 hours a week. Uh, Whatever it may be, it could be either you, external uh, or internal factors. But there will come a point in time where if it's big enough and depending on that, where it snaps is where you're going to pick up the pieces from and that's kind of where the atrophy lands. So the longer duration of time you don't address this thing, the more pieces you got to pick up. And there's nothing wrong with picking up the pieces. You know, there's grace for that, but you have to be mindful of whatever you're sitting in in your life, the longer you let it just pull out, pull out and snap, the more when you come back to recovery, picking up the pieces, you know, you got to put that rubber band back together and it's going to take time. You, you got to make sure it's extra clean, you know, on the edges of where it snapped. You'll be mindful of how you even glue it back together, that sort of thing. So, what's your thoughts on the atrophy part to this, Jason?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, one of what you're describing is sort of this uh, this idea that we become overwhelmed by outside influences, and and those grow. So as we live our life, um, we have more and more competing interests on our life, right? And if you're married, you have kids, you have a job, you have a community, church, whatever, those grow and grow and grow um, and they can grow disproportionately. You know, it could be, your work could be the biggest stressor of of them or it could be your marriage or something else. But essentially every, you're you're at capacity and then everything's pulling you in a direction. And so now all of a sudden, you're going to break right you're at this point and so i think the atrophy is actually a failure to identify and enforce boundaries Mm -hmm. and so those boundaries keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed until you as a person snap and so that's the idea with boundaries is that you prevent that from happening because all of us will snap all of us will break if we don't enforce boundaries and so um, the way with the way boundaries, uh, the reason we we uh, are complacent with boundaries is a couple of reasons. One is, and this was something I experienced with that toxic mentor. I was the type of person who avoided the conflict, and so when I screwed up, I took responsibility for my part and for his part. I overtook responsibility, and so the way that I kind of mentally think of that is. Um, you know, I'm carrying three boxes and I drop them and now he's upset. And so I say, oh, I'll pick them back up and I'll carry three more. (laughs) So now I'm escalating, uh, this, this effort. And if I couldn't carry three boxes, why do I think I'm going to carry six? You know, so I'm going to drop the six and it's just going to keep getting worse. So there's a conflict aversion, um, that I dealt with. And for me that ended up, being more of like a passive aggressive type of, uh, of outlet, like I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the conflicts, so it ended up coming out in other other pockets of of, yeah. of life, and so, um, so the conflict aversion and then the, um, you know, if it's if it's not necessarily unhealthy, if it's a let's say it's just a normal relationship where, you know, not anything toxic, you know, you want to make them happy, you want to please them, but um sometimes it's just unsustainable and so I remember I had an employee who worked with me and I noticed uh she was just working way too many hours and so I sat down and said all right you really need to cut off your work and contain this instead of doing all this extra time and all these different weird times of the day and night and she's like oh yeah I was just she kind of got into that same place and so when we were talking we're in alignment so it worked out real well for her to kind of take that step back and and um and do that yeah and so as a her too right what
0: it helped that you fired her too no no
1: she <laughs> she stayed on board um but it, in some cases that could that could lead to something like that if if it was uh, not received well mm-hmm. but um if someone was like a workaholic and they just couldn't they were neglecting their family yeah. or something you know that could cause a problem but but um You know the the idea there is as a leader we need to help other people enforce their own boundaries if they if they are struggling to because we don't always have the capacity maturity wise to do that and so sometimes we have to be um be kind of lend our our whatever we're gifted in or whatever we've in an area we've kind of developed or matured so if i'm good at enforcing boundaries it might i might have to lean on that on on that person to um to help me enforce my boundaries because I'm not good at it. Right. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times the reason we're not doing it is because there's something we're afraid of or something um, we're scared about or something about us that we don't want to look at in the mirror. So yeah, kind of like, for example,
0: somebody working for me like that to connect the dots to that business venture, like somebody working for me being unprofessional. And every time I address it, there's like resistance, there's tension. So at some point there's so much tension and resistance that you're like, <laughs> What, what it, this is an efficient use of my time, you know? So at, at some point it becomes a boundary of like, am I just going to keep letting this happen, be lukewarm about it and how I run my business or just let it, let them go and, and move yeah. on with my life.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there, sometimes these, these situations um, don't give us an easy out. We've got to make the hard decision. And usually that's how we learn um, to grow in ways that, um, in in some ways, we have to learn that when the rubber band snaps, you know the the world doesn't end. Like our yeah. world might end, right? But then we realize things keep moving, and that can be re- re- uh, that can be reassuring because it's like, oh, I guess you know we might think, well, the world doesn't revolve around me. Um, although to some degree we might like that, but then it's overwhelming. So then it's like a double edged sword. But once we realize that you know, we can sort of fail and flounder. And maybe that kind of gets back to the, the the original point, which is when that rubber band snaps, you know, what's the life we've built before that and what have we invested in who's been invested in us and how have those investments played out? So I'll give you an example of, you know, in 2013, 14, when I shut down my company, when that reality came hit home i was very emotional and felt like i got hit by a emotional semi truck and and I just dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression and whatnot but i had a lot of great community around me I had a lot of friends and people and i had another friend who i met with a couple of years after that who had kind of gone through a similar thing but he didn't have any community he was kind of on his own and so his experience was very different than mine um, in terms of being caught you know versus being uh being isolated when that happens and so you know, those, our upbringing and, and the life we live make a difference um, when, when that tragedy strikes.
0: Yeah. What you just said made me think of, you know, it's so easy to actually drown myself in, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world, like the one the, the rubber band snaps.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I actually had one of those moments years ago where at like just about all my properties, everything went wrong. <laughs> like, giant repairs all at once and you know, tenants vacating all at once. And so there's this massive, you know, gigantic gap of, of funds. I was overdrafting my accounts and stuff like that. So It all worked out. But of course, in the midst of that, I was like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? This is the most worst thing that ever happened to me. And it it made me blind to all the blessings I already had. Like I could like this literally happened to me when I was 18. uh, I didn't pay a few bills. Uh, There was uh, some some bills that got racked up and I got debt, which, of course, affected my credit for seven years. But I still was able to collect like three to four rental properties in that seven years. So me thinking that this kind of windfall or, you know, tripping of my life is going to brutalize my credit and therefore brutalize my life is kind of like me thinking that my credit is a God and it can't just be used for when I need it uh, versus it, it, it my life depends on it. Yeah. Yeah. So that we could also fall into that atrophy and that that aspect too, of of making different gods. Um,
1: Yeah. And whatever is most important to us will rise to the top. And that's where our relationship with God actually can help us is because I can go, well, I can borrow God's uh, authority or borrow his, uh, his um, guidelines to say, okay, this, this isn't right. This is something I can push back on um, that. I might not feel comfortable doing myself, but, um, but we tend to make other things, idols. And so those might be, uh, you know, approval of this person, or it might be, um, performance, um, on a particular work or whatever it might be. And so that drives our behavior, whatever our idol is, is what, what dr- drives our behavior. Um, and, uh, sometimes, uh, I mean, we all have idols in different areas of life. It's just a matter of, uh, where are they? <laughs>
0: yeah. And can we even identify them? Or do we even have the courage to identify them? Yeah. I also know folks that just don't want to do that either. Yeah. And I've even been guilty of that myself. I'm not going to parade yeah. myself as the best guy. But to jump right in, back into complacency atrophy, I wanted to jump through this story before we go into guilt. Uh, because this these parties didn't feel guilt in what, the atrocities they committed as Nazis. Could you describe the, the scenario you did for our group? Uh, where the well, Nazis I'll, made sense of killing a mother and a son?
1: Yeah, so I'll say um, there's a, a book called Ordinary Men. Um, I don't think I have it here. But it talks about, um, they interviewed these these Nazis. They were recruited, they were Polish soldiers. And um, it tells the story. The whole book is about how they went from just being Normal men in a community to being uh, killers, Jew killers. You said they were Polish? They were actually not Uh, even German. um, I believe so, yeah. Polish uh, battalion. Um, If I remember right. Um, Okay. So, anyway, um, let's see. Ordinary men. Let me pull up the picture here of the cover so I can. Get the uh, full name: Ordinary Men, Reserve Police Battalion One Hundred and One, and the Final Solution. Oh, it was the Final Solution in Poland. Um, and the book just goes through this process um, of how the Nazi, how they, how they made these men into Nazis, uh, Jew killers, and um, and so, particularly it was the Jewish, uh, the Polish Jews that were that were killed. And um, there's a particular passage that describes the justification where essentially the soldier, uh, one of the soldiers would shoot the mother and they would have a child. And then the other soldier would justify in his mind that, well, without a mom, that child can't live. So I'm actually loving this child by shooting them because they can't live without their mom. And so they found a way to justify it. And um, in another book by uh, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn um, in Gulag Archipelago, he talks about how ideology is how we can justify evil acts and be completely okay with them. So we can feel good about doing evil things because we have this um, this this uh, purpose and in, in ideology that justifies it. Uh, I think of as an example, like in the Bible, would be. Um, the Apostle Paul before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was persecuting Jews. Or sorry, he was persecuting Christians. He was a Jewish um, religious leader, and he was persecuting, um, jailing, killing Christians for their beliefs in Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And so Paul, um, uh, Saul, at the time, you know, he he thought he was doing God's work. Thought he was doing what god had him and he was caught up in this religious extremism um, ideology and he was doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing and then he met jesus on the road and realized that the god he was serving was not um, was not the real god and that the real god was the one he was actually attacking perse- persecuting and so he flips completely 180 goes from killing christians to becoming a christian in this seemingly unexplainable turn of events and, um, and ends up being this uh, ma- um, just major figure in Christian history to spread, spread the good news across the world and, re- and writing half of the New Testament, um, which is part of our Bible now. So so that's an example of that. And, and there are others, too. I mean, just look at any, any, of, any event, um, any tragedy, and then look at the explanations of the people who instigated that tragedy you'll often find an explanation justification for why what they did was a good thing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and I would add to that too. There's something simpler than ideology that, that can cause atrocities too, which is just your friends, your environment. Uh, there was this show I was watching with, with Stacy the other day. I'm not even going to say the name because it was quite disturbing, uh, even for adults or children. But... Basically, in one of the scenes there, they took inadvertently taken like mushrooms and their meal, their soup. And so this entire group of, I guess they're you know, late teens, they act, started acting weird. Of course, you're under drugs, so you're going to act weird. But they started perceiving this one uh, male character out of the group as a deer that they needed to kill. And uh, they were, they followed, they ran after him in the forest and uh, pinned him against a tree. And one of the other girls gave her a uh, a knife to go ahead and cut his neck. And she was starting to kind of get in and out of the illusion, like, oh, this is not a deer. This is actually a person and I shouldn't be killing. So she started looking around to the other uh people and the other people were of course egging her on like yeah. hey yeah, go just we got to kill it's a sacrifice we're supposed to do this and she was about to do it and that's really what all it could take to do something atrocious is somebody just hey nudging you along like this is a normal thing and i think yeah i've seen long yeah long i heard, heard
1: a similar story about someone committing suicide in a similar way like they were being egged on um go ahead and do it you know by these people that were just
0: uh
1: speaking frivolously and, and then the, the lady ended up doing it so yeah there there's certainly a, um, a pressure or a peer dynamic that we overestimate at times
0: um so and that's a key part to renewing the mind daily right
1: yeah and that's, I think fundamentally, you know, I, I said ideology, you made, you mentioned the word idol. Um, I would just, I would, I would just kind of, when I think of an ideology, I think of, it's an idol that has a a religious um, surrounding um, a religious message or belief that um, but it's uh, that idolization. Um, we will do whatever we can to, as an, if, some, if we make something, our God, we're going to do whatever we can to, um get that God's approval or to um to make that God manifest and um and so that religious instinct in us is uh, is there and so it comes out in from nasty ways.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like how people idolize my pecs, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they're watch out.
0: tens of thousands kneel before me just for my pecs.
1: <laughs> better watch out, they might um they might uh, take them from you. (laughs) (laughs) So we have guilt here. Where's, where's uh, where we go from here.
0: Guilt. When it came to that personal story of mine, where I was living with this unprofessional behavior for months, probably even years. uh, I'm sure it happened behind my back. So I didn't see it a good amount of time either. Uh, there, there came a tipping point, and a misconception I had with uh, with Christianity is that, like, I take I took a lot of things literally, like, give your brother, you know, seventy times seven uh, forgivenesses, uh, honor everybody around you, uh, basically put your life down for your brother, but there's another verse that adds more wisdom to that, which is honoring somebody else also involves confronting them. If you're not uh, giving them a good reproach, good confrontation, which the Bible also talks about in second Timothy three you're kind of keeping them in a cycle of pain for themselves because they're just going to keep on doing it. Not just to me, but to other people. Yeah. And yep. Me not confunding them is just going to keep that cycle. So I lived with it for months or years. And then at one point I snapped. And even on that day, it was hard because there was ramifications. There was other people that would be affected by this, Mm -hmm. probably dozens of people. But it was ultimately the right decision over the long term for all parties involved. So I had that guilt, uh, which allowed me to get to the next step. Before, but before we jump in there, Jason, what's your th- thoughts on guilt?
1: Well, one thing that came to mind when you said that was uh, this passage from the uh, My Utmost for His Highest. Uh, Oswald Chambers. He's talking about Abraham and and uh, and um, God in Genesis two twenty two two. He says, "Take now your son and offer him as a." burnt offering on one of the mountains of which i tell you so he's giving some commentary and about halfway through the commentary he says the following line the great lesson to be learned from abraham's faith in god is that he was prepared to do anything for god he was there to obey god no matter what contrary belief of his might be violated by his obedience abraham was not devoted to his own convictions or else he would have slain isaac and said that the voice of the angel was actually the voice of the devil that is the attitude of the fanatic and so the idea here is that you're connected to god not your beliefs about god right and our beliefs and our convictions can actually be wrong and misdirected and and manipulated and so um and when and when we are committed to our beliefs and convictions it can actually lead us to do evil things Mm -hmm. and so that that was one thing that came to mind. I think the second thing that came to mind more specifically to the guilt side of it is uh, when I first moved to Atlanta, um, I worked doing uh, IT support I would go into people's houses and fix their computers and did, did it for residential and business so it was a combination well i um, I, I often would work on computers that the problem, the reason there were problems on the computers, is because of they were on places, they were on the internet places, they shouldn't have been pornography and whatnot. And so I knew this wasn't right, but I didn't know how I was supposed to handle this. So I asked my boss, how am I supposed to handle this? And he said, well, just, they're not, you're not there to hold them accountable. It's not your place to do that. You just need to clean it up and move on. And I just felt like something about that didn't seem right. Um, because sometimes it would be, you know, um, would I'd be fine looking at the kid's computer or uh, a husband and a, you know, a husband would hire me to clean his computer or his wife would hire me to fix the computer. Like, but she doesn't know what's going on. And so it was just, it was kind of messy. I felt like something was wrong, but I had my own, I was looking at pornography myself. So I felt guilty, like, well, how can I do anything? Cause I'm doing the very same thing. Yeah, But I feel like there should be something healthy about uh, reconciling these situations. And I didn't know how to do that. But the guilt kind of trapped me because I had my own problem with the same issue. And so what it did is it just it allowed everyone to continue in their their sin. Mm. And nobody uh, was liberated. We were all right. just enslaved. And, and um, we just did it together. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's kind of the guilt side of it that comes
0: to mind yeah that was so powerful that especially at the beginning where you said that god really wants just a connection to us and everything becomes easier from there
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah
0: many people have misinterpreted the word for self-gain
1: yeah and and, that, and that's the first line in the devotion it says a person's character determines how he interprets god's will yeah And so that implies, if you have bad character, you will interpret God's will in, in uh, wrong ways. And that goes to, you know, uh, Saul doing things he thought was God's will, but he was actually doing the will of Satan.
0: Yeah, I think this is a good opportunity to say why we follow God, even though it's kind of detour from the topic. But basically, I think we've both come to conclusion that we've tried our own ways, and our own ways always lead to, I mean, let me just go hit myself on the wall here. (laughs) Let me go frustrate myself again. Whereas as we get closer to God and we understand, you know, other people look at us as limitations on on their free will, but for us it's like this is clearly a, a key way to live so that we're not continuing to run into walls. And so we're grateful to God for that. And also to add to that that other people may not understand is we have no place to judge what God says to do, wants to do, has done in the past in the Bible or outside the Bible. It's not our place because our place is just to, you know, follow our relationship with him. And that'll lead us to whatever uh has to be done with our lives, uh, you know, using our talents to our best abilities, uh, and being able to hear him better. Uh, for me personally, I, I I see him interact with me, particularly in numbers. Like when numbers appear, that there's only one way that could have happened. It's like, you know, one in a trillion chance that that number could have appeared at that paper at that certain time. So it kind of reminds me of, hey, I'm, I'm right next to you right now. And mm-hmm. let's keep on moving forward in this. Well, what, what's your thoughts on that before we move on to Escape, Jason?
1: Uh, well, I guess uh, we all wager our lives um, on something. We, have a, we all have a fundamental religious belief. You don't have, if you are uh, non-religious, you're essentially making a religious belief um, about non-religious. And when I mean religious belief, I mean you're making a fundamental belief you're making a certain claim. You're accepting a certain belief that has no um, that 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 has no way to to be um, proven, right? You have to um, make a stake in the ground that this is what I believe about the world, and there's no way to prove this or that. And so we wager our lives on these different ways of life, whether it's Christianity or it could be some other religion or lack of religion but we're wagering our life um, on what we believe to be true and so christianity um you know there's a lot of reasons um why we believe it's true um but ultimately there is a leap of, of faith no matter how small you can shrink that gap and so for me you know growing up and a loving Christian community certainly gave me an advantage in experiencing that truth and living that out in my own life. And then after moving from Arizona to Atlanta, seeing that decay, kind of the atrophy, um, and having a contrast between the way of life that I had growing up in that loving community and in the way of life that was slowly fading away and getting to that point, like you said, of, Oh, right, God, my way is not working. Show me yours. And then him showing up and experiencing God show up. And so it's experiencing him showing up that personally cements my beliefs and cements my trust in him. And, and that continues as I walk with God, then I experience more of God. And so um, it becomes more and more um, the way of, but it, it, it's, a, it, you can't really know. I mean, you can watch someone else, but to personally go through that experience requires like going through it. Like you can't learn to swim until you jump in and start mm-hmm. swimming. And so, um, so th- those are a few kind of thoughts that just come to mind about uh, the walk of faith and, and what that means and where that leads, um, and how it's unfolded and, um, and the experience of it and, and how that's, you know, something that we have to wrestle with and, uh, and, uh, to seek to understand. So.
0: Awesome, man. Always dropping gems. Never told y'all, but I decided Jason has to be on here monthly because always, always such stimulating conversation. He and I have, wanted to let y'all into you know what he and i do just about weekly um ever since we, we moved closer together it's, it's been more regular but there's no other brother that i could talk so closely and intimately with about very serious subjects and having in a very godly way so thanks for committing to that jason i'm going yeah, you to hold you that contractually <laughs> 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 so let's wrap up with the escape part uh, so for me I ended up letting that person go. It was very painful. A lot of guilt around it. Um, I even had withdrawal symptoms towards the end of like, oh, yeah. should I really have done that? Maybe I need to go back. Control Z, undo, undo. <laughs> but I let the feelings flow, flow through. Uh, I ended up taking a while to recover from that decision, but it was fantastic for me.
1: And yeah,
0: I'm, I'm really glad about where i am now yeah it's kind of one of those moments where you don't know that god orchestrated it because you're so upset (laughs) yeah it's it was meant for your good ultimately yeah what about for you escape on
1: yeah so um i mean there's two types of escape there's uh unintentional abandonment where you leave the situation um just to get away right versus intentionally abandoning the situation, like ending it. Um, and so I think it's important that, that we don't unintentionally abandon things that we, you know, you could have just sort of slowly, uh, s- slowly broken that relationship um, and just disappeared, ghosted him, you know, <laughs> or him <laughs> vice versa and never had resolution, but I think it is the more that we can, the less we can do that, and the more we can actually be more specific about, hey, this isn't working. Let's let's talk about resolving this. The problem with that is, it does create a lot of conflict um, when we end things. A lot of stuff some seems to come out of us, like uh, you know, when you're uh, when you're about to die, your life flashes before your eyes, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. when you end a a relationship or you end a partnership, there's kind of a similar phenomenon where okay. All of your grievances that neither of you dealt with are now all coming out at the end because they didn't come out earlier when they should have. Yeah. And so there's a dynamic there, but if you intentionally abandon, if you intentionally end it, it, give at least give a chance to kind of get all of that out of you and work it out. And, um, and so that's uh part of it. And then, um, you know, sometimes there is, there are types of relationships where it is appropriate to, uh, to end them or take a pause, a break. And um, and some of the time we'll discover that they were probably relationships that never should have happened in the way they did. I'll, I'll give you an example. There, there were people in my company that I hired or brought into the company that in retrospect, I realized that I wanted to help them. And I thought by hiring them, I would help them. And I realized that I could have just helped them without ever hiring them, right? Um, and so, there's ways to if we kind of get to the root of it. What is it we're trying to accomplish, and is 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 the way we're doing it the best way, best way to accomplish that, um, or are we, um, you know, it? I, yeah, I guess that would probably be the best way to put It's just kind of understand yeah. what we're trying to accomplish and make sure that that
0: this is are the right outlet, a crutch, that. perhaps. Yeah. That-
1: yeah, because you can ina- you can hurt someone by trying to help them. And I've done a lot of that. I've hurt a lot of people by trying to help them. So,
0: yeah. And I can relate to that too. Mm. I have uh, previously, for like some certain tenants, had this kind of enabling. I didn't call it enabling. I thought it was just grace of like, yo, do you understand? They grew up in these atrocious circumstances. They had their mom just until the last week yelling at them like a maniac. throwing stuff at them like you you can't really expect them to behave like a normal person. Mm -hmm. But in reality, no, you can give them that right to act like a normal person, especially with you and especially early on, which is, uh, you know, unfortunately a a pretty truthful thing throughout history. If you kind of let people step on you towards the beginning, it'll just kind of keep on happening.
1: Yeah. So I I will make one uh, quick Correction. Um, when I talked about the res- the uh, the book Ordinary Men, it was called the Reserve Police Battalion 101, and it was formed in Nazi ger- Germany. It was uh, out of Hamburg, Germany. So the the police force was created in Germany, and then they were sent to Poland. So, little little clarity there.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I was going to be massively outraged if that yeah. wasn't accurate. <laughs> but if
1: you want to read a book. And as a mirror the ordinary man is is a book to read because it'll show you it show me showed me how i could become a nazi without yeah. it being um, it's a lot easier than we think
0: so the yeah. before we wrap up we got to touch on Dietrich like a guy that was actively decided as a christian to be like all you y'all are running away we need to be staying here and doing everything we can. Could you talk about that guy briefly in summary real quick?
1: Yeah. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called uh, the cost of discipleship, which I've read and is a great book. Um, he was, uh, he was in Germany and he spoke out against Hitler and the rising Nazi party as, as it grew in power and exhorted the Christian church. Um, Even for, within Germany, <laughs> within Germany for going along with Hitler. And um he's he stood up um and he ended up uh leaving um germany i don't know how long it was maybe a year or so and he just felt like you know what every because it was just getting so bad and the war was close to starting Mm -hmm. um but anyway he left and he just he didn't feel right and he decided to go back to germany and everyone said you can't go back you can't go back um you know they'll imprison you and kill you and and both of those things ended up happening. He was actually killed a few weeks before his uh, prison camp was liberated by the uh, allies. Um, and he actually, I don't know the details, but he was associated with a plot to to overthrow Hitler, to, to assassinate him. Um, but I don't know a whole lot of the, the details, but he was a vocal, vocal critic and a strong Christian. And um, he tried to reconcile those two things uh, as while being a German um, and also while also trying to call the church to 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 their relationship with Christ instead of uh, the relationship with Hitler, and trying to um, um, navigate all of these complex uh, evil situations that were unfolding, and so that's um, he's just a, a really inspirational story, and um,
0: yeah, and he was uh, even his, evangelizing while imprisoned, right? Yeah,
1: I yeah he he even wrote uh, one of the Um, He wrote like a book about just the cross uh, of Christ and and his final hours on earth, um, which was kind of ended up being his final hours on earth as well. Um, And it's, I think it's an unfinished book, but he kind of has some notes and stuff that he, that was compiled later on. Yeah. So.
0: What a phenomenal life of courage. That dude has balls of steel.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So he was, he was uh, not going to sit around and uh, be quiet go quietly into the night he was he's um gonna do what he could to make a difference yeah and um you know it's hard to know what kind of difference he made but um his his legacy is certainly stuck around so
0: i'm sure you made big differences like even i if i recall vaguely you can tell me if i'm wrong big there were actual prison guards that would like regularly have conversations with him or ask for prayers or something like that. Is that,
1: is that right? I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think I remember if I remember right when, when I, in the cost of discipleship, there's a little biography in the front that talks about it. And I think I yeah. might've said something about that. Um, he would, I, he was certainly been sharing with them and, and, um, listening to them. Yeah. So.
0: All right. So wrap up. I wanted to share some lyrics from Aesop <clears throat> rock. And this kind of speaks to the points we've all been talking about, but also talks to like the human condition. And if we want to be real with ourselves and identify with these, I I personally empathize with 99% of these lyrics at one point in my life or not, uh, or currently. Um, So let, let me jump right in. I have been completely unable to maintain any semblance of any relationship on any level. I have been a jerk to the people who have actively attempted to deliver me from peril. I have been acutely undeserving of the ear that listens up and the lip that kissed me on the temple. I have been accustomed to a stubborn disposition that admits it wishes history disassembled. I have been a hypocrite in sermonizing tolerance while skimming for a ministry to pretzel. I have been unfairly resentful of those I wish that acted different when the bidding was essential. I have been a terrible communicator prone to isolation over sympathy for devils. I have been my own worst enemy since the very genesis of rebels. Man, I got goosebumps about that. <laughs> that is Oof. every value of my life I could relate to at least one of those Yeah, or something that went astray that I could have kept a closer eye on and i could have taken more responsibility over Mm -hmm. if i had the courage to yeah
1: and i i think there are a lot of opportunities um missed opportunities where we could have intervened Mm -hmm. and those are the harder ones right it's it's easy to go well i i um it's easy to identify the opportunities of of responsibility that we intentionally chose not to or
0: Um, or to blame blame others about,
1: yeah. But to see an opportunity where I could have intervened, um, and, and not to, you know, to recognize that, I mean, I think it goes back to one, avoiding conflict, um, is one reason we don't, but the second one is we avoid regret. I don't want to accept that I was response, potentially responsible in that situation, because then I have to deal with regret. And to deal with regret means I have to feel that regret, and the regret is good if it keep if it changes our behavior for the positive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then it's it's a good thing, and we want to regret things that that we did, so that we become a better person. If we never regret, we never change, and so that's that's worse. Um, but we do want to avoid conflict, and we do want to avoid regret, and I think we got to embrace them both.
0: Amen to that, brother. All right. That wraps up another edition of From Pain to Game. Look forward to seeing you next time, Jason, with your curly hair and your forest land beard. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. y'all. Episode sponsored by Common Walk, a real estate company dedicated to affordable housing investment. To learn more, visit commonwalk.com.